Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection, featuring conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, coming up on this week's edition of The Intersection, as well as next week's, I will be sharing from my coverage of the top 10 topics of 2023 impacting the Christian community, which will include comments from Meeting House guests from throughout the previous year. In this edition, you'll be hearing topics 10 through 6. Next week, it's topics 6 through 1. Well, let's begin with the number 10 topic of 2023. School and public libraries become battlegrounds over inappropriate content. While libraries have become sources of tension in some local communities because of the proliferation of the so-called drag queen story hours, which have been allowed across the country, events to which parents are invited to bring their children to see individuals dress in a manner that is opposite to their biological sex, some of these events have become sexually suggestive. And even some states have passed legislation attempting to protect children from these inappropriate displays. And courts have intervened against those pieces of legislation. Christian actor Kirk Cameron called out these types of displays by requesting that local libraries allow him to read a book espousing Christian values in certain libraries. In an astonishing double standard, Cameron was rejected in an overwhelming majority of libraries. He was involved in organizing a See You at the Library Day across the nation, and one particularly large gathering occurred in North Alabama. Now, throughout Alabama, the promotion of obscene, sexually oriented material has become a real problem, with local communities engaged in ongoing struggles to make sure these materials are not available to children. It's not book banning, but book rating. In fact, it's been likened to a movie rating system. Karen England is president of Capital Resource Institute, which has been a powerful force in California and across the nation to protect families and preserve Christian values. She visited the meeting house in July of 2023 to discuss what she has been seeing regarding libraries making objectionable material available to children. There are some First Amendment issues, um, and the left loves to just throw that out there and think that's a blanket thing that, oh, it means we can do or say anything we want, and it doesn't. Of course, the librarians, that's the first thing that, that they say. However, there are safeguards when you're talking about children, and and for instance, the, the, the Drag Queen Story Hour bill um, was struck down here in Tennessee, and I, I'm sure they're appealing it. But it's important that you write that laws are written and policies are written in a way that can withstand that scrutiny of the First Amendment, because there are court cases that have come before. But vulgarity and um, I don't know where adult entertainment became so accepted. Would we be having a, you know, a strip club come perform at a library? This is adult entertainment with sexual connotations. And so there are limits you can put on that. Uh, you, you can't outlaw them all together, but you certainly, with taxpayer dollars and minor children involved, there are plenty of things that you can do and that your library can do. There's all, you know, again, the left likes to say, well, First Amendment, First Amendment, and you do need to do it strategically. You can't outlaw everything that, that I would object to. There's a lot of, again, coming from California, there's a lot of LGBTQ stuff that I personally would object to. However, there are certain laws that, that say they have to do certain things in California. Um, so with, within that realm, it does not mean that vulgarity, porn, 
um, obscenity has to be accepted and embraced. And that's the thing. I think people are waking up now. It's not just um, respect them, advocate. You're in trouble if you're not advocating for them. Now it's you're a hater if you're, you know, they're turning our kids into LGBTQ activists with the different books that are going on and considering them an ally and encouraging our kids to become activists. So it's not just respect and tolerate, but they've moved to advocate. And in order for you not to be a hater, you need to advocate for those lifestyles. And when you look at the obscenity and pornography laws in various communities and some of the material that is particularly objectionable, and of course, when we look at books that promote the LGBT lifestyle, there does seem to be a commonality with respect to the LGBT agenda and the the proliferation of obscenity and pornography. Oh, absolutely. And when people say, well, why are you just going after the LGBTQ books? Well, first of all, I'm not. But secondly, it's the other side that's going after them. They're the ones with the book Gender Queer, which is nothing more but pornographic cartoons. Not me. I'm fighting against that. And so they're the ones that are trying to um, push this really graphic stuff in that arena on minor children, not me. I'm trying to say, hey, let kids be kids, whether it's gay or straight sex. I don't want this, this graphic porn given to any minor. And so the left has done that. The, the amount, I just uh, two weeks ago went to our local county library and the shelves they had on the gender, you know, the gender transition, I was just shocked. It, I don't know how anyone can, can come out of kind of, unless you're in a private Christian school, homeschooled, and I do recommend both of those. Um, they're just assaulted with this, this gender stuff culturally everywhere, everywhere. Your library, your, your sports teams, your, it's everywhere. And kids who are naturally questioning and having feelings and I may I was a tomboy that doesn't make me a boy I, I hate to think what it would have been like if I'd grown up at a time like right now I all of the normal questioning things you have as a kid and, and insecurities I would be told that oh that means you were born in the wrong body you need to embrace this and before you wake up you know you've gone and gotten surgeries which is why there's so many so many detransitioners mm. suing right now because it was irresponsible for the medical um, industry to do this to them at the age of 13, 16, cutting their breasts off. It's ridiculous. It's, it's so detrimental and harmful, and we need to, to stand up for these kids. It is not loving to have them alter their body for life. That is not the loving, Christ-like thing to do. Karen England of Capital Resource Institute comments relative to the number 10 topic of 2023, school and public libraries become battlegrounds over inappropriate content. Well, the number nine topic of 2023, technological challenges await Christians in the future. Well, the future of information technology certainly influences the church. The Internet has become a powerful resource through which Christians and Christian organizations can share biblical truth. And social media has become a force through which believers can engage with one another and the world around them. But there are challenges with using the Internet. 
There is information that is being disseminated there that conflicts with our Christian worldview perspective. Subject matter related to the use of technology and the dangers it poses is regularly heard on the Meeting House program on Faith Radio. Now with artificial intelligence experiencing rapid growth, the church has a challenge regarding how it can use AI and how it may positively and negatively impact the gospel. Well, for that reason, the Trinity Broadcasting Network produced a special program called The Rise of Artificial Intelligence, hosted by Eric Stackelbeck, news correspondent for TBN and host of the Watchman program. Prior to the airing of that special program, he spoke with me about the challenges ahead. I think two things. Number one, technology ending up in the wrong hands. I think first and foremost of China. And yeah. the communist regime in Beijing, we talk about guardrails with AI. Right now, I interviewed Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee as a part of this special. And she said, look, we need legislation here in Washington, D.C. to rein AI in before it really gets out of control. China has no such moral or ethical concerns, to say the least. So they're going to take AI and do whatever they want with it uh, to their own ends, including in the military realm. And also you have, look, nefarious actors. You talk about digital currency and the Great Reset, which you and I have discussed before, Mm -hmm. and essentially a drive for a one-world government. And this could easily, AI, be the tool for a surveillance state or certainly part of an integral part of a surveillance state. And speaking of AI and how it's become so prevalent, Bob, a lot of people – are asking, what exactly is it? You and I were talking a little bit before the interview started, and I learned a lot even uh, producing this special. And I learned that, look, all of us pretty much have been using AI in some form or fashion yeah. really over the past several decades. Think of if people use Alexa or Siri. Think of the recommendations even on Amazon or Netflix even the Maps app on your iPhone, all of these are kind of rudimentary forms of AI. But with the advent of ChatGPT, Bob, this is almost an autonomous entity uh, that can think on its feet, to say the least, and is a hyper-intelligent form of AI. That really was the game changer. And around November 2022 is when this thing went into overdrive. So we're getting to a different level now for sure. And you talk about it falling into the wrong hands. One can only imagine the dangerous potential on the battlefield if China, Russia, Iran, and the like really choose to employ AI in that kind of scenario. What are some of the the potential positive elements that you discovered as you put this special together? I did interview two pastors for the special as well to get a Christian perspective on AI. And, okay, how should we approach this as the body of Christ? How, as believers, how should we approach what is really history-altering, potentially, uh, technology? Uh, in terms of the positives, um, frankly— People are still trying to kind of figure that out in terms of, okay, as I mentioned, how can we take this? How can it benefit the church? Now, some would say, well, it's already doing so. Some of the more secular kind of left-wing-minded people who who profess to be Christians. I'll give you an example. In Germany, back in June, they held the first ever church service, AI church service, I should say. It was a sermon— entirely written by ChatGPT, and the quote-unquote pastor, Bob, who 
delivered this sermon was an AI avatar. It was not a real person. It was an AI avatar on a big screen. This happened in Bavaria, Germany. So that is one way people would say, hey, look, this is great. We're going to reach more people with this new technology. I, I beg to differ. Mm-hmm. Many say, well, look, AI can help pastors uh, write their sermon. But at the end of the day, AI does not have a soul. It, it cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not made in the image of God. It was created by man. It's not made in the image of God Almighty. So that poses a very serious question. Now, AI could be a great research tool for sure, no doubt, um, for a pastor who's researching a sermon or really researching anything. So, again, there are positives here. It could be a great research tool, no doubt, and it could certainly help generate ideas for sermons. That is a good thing. But I think we delve into a dangerous space when we have AI actually writing an entire sermon and delivering the sermon in AI avatar. Another quick point to mention here, Bob, where some on the secular progressive left are getting very excited about AI. We had one individual by the name of Yuval Noah Harari. He is an Israeli philosopher, academic, intellectual, very famous around the world, very close to Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and and kind of the Great Reset crowd. He said recently that AI could create its own religion. We could have an AI-generated religion. He, he deemed it as basically a perfect, all-inclusive religion. Eric Stackelbeck from Trinity Broadcasting Network. Comments relative to the number nine topic of 2023 impacting the Christian community. Technological challenges await Christians in the future. Well, the number eight topic... Christian involvement in politics being labeled in a negative way using confusing terminology. Now, we're seeing in our culture an attempt to vilify Christians who believe that the Word of God should govern all of their decisions, including those that would be considered political. As the latest Faith Radio Ministry magazine points out, the Bible speaks clearly to a number of cultural issues, and those who love God and love their country, just like many of the founders did, should not be excluded from public discussion. Over the past few years, a new term has been used to describe Christians who actively want to bring their faith into civic dialogue. That term is Christian nationalism. It has now been commonly used to describe not only professing Christians who may have gotten things out of balance regarding God and country, but literally the majority of Christians who simply desire to have their voices heard. Well, the definition of the term is rather cloudy, but it can have the effect of intimidating people of faith. Mark David Hall is a professor at George Fox University and was a guest on The Meeting House to discuss a piece he wrote for the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University called Christian Reflections on Christian Nationalism. He pointed out how a Christian can appropriately love God, love his or her country, and be involved in speaking biblical truth in the culture. He is the author of a book called Proclaim Liberty Throughout All the Land, How Christianity Has Advanced Freedom and Equality for All Americans, a book that documents how the practice of biblical Christianity has been a force for good. Here now is Mark David Hall. Beginning in about 2006, um, critics started using the, 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 the phrase Christian nationalism to critique Christians who bring their faith into the public square to advocate for for things that progressives don't like. So you're Mm. a Christian nationalist, according to the critics, if you advocate for the protection of unborn human life, 
or you're a Christian nationalist if you um, believe religious liberty means something more than the freedom to worship, if you believe that it should protect your ability to act upon your religious convictions whenever possible. So those things are scary Christian nationalism, and that's just the beginning, right? And these Christian nationalists are racist and sexist and militarist and pretty much every sort of ist you don't like. And I, I do think it's, it's important to emphasize no one in America prior to 2022, that, that's an exaggeration, I'm sure someone can find it a, 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 <laughs> a, a, an exception to this claim, but basically no one in America was saying, I am a Christian nationalist, or Christian nationalism is a good thing. But I want to emphasize that really it is a term that was only used by critics basically to criticize conservative Christians. And and they're open about this. They say, look, when the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is motivated by his faith to advocate for civil rights legislation, that's a wonderful thing. We aren't against that at all. It's only when people advocate for conservative things that it's a sort of mean-spirited, horrible, scary Christian nationalism. You have several studies. One that you referenced, there's a book by a couple of gentlemen, Whitehead and Perry, who actually use some survey data with respect to some of the definitions of what makes a Christian nationalist. So it's almost like they're trying to manipulate the data to come to the conclusion that they've already reached. That's my perception. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. So, um, yeah, the, the, the problem begins by defining Christian nationalism as a truly toxic mix that no one that you know or I know um, really fits, right? Someone who's just a, a complete racist, sexist, militarist who wants to oppress everyone in America mm. except for white, white Christian males. You know, this, this description fits almost no one, and yet they come up with a way of me- purportedly measuring this that show that 51.9% of Americans are fully or partially in, in support of this toxic ideology. And what they do is they, they, they use a variety of questions that were, were put out, a variety of statements that were put out by Baylor over a 10-year period, and people respond to them. And as possible, I could see how you could respond to these questions and strongly agree and be something of a, of a Christian nationalist. But I also think it, you could easily respond in the affirmative and not be anything like what they described. Let, let me just run through, I'll just run through two of these questions with you. Mm-hmm. And then if people are interested, you can just Google my name, Mark David Hall, Christian nationalism, and it should take you to um, the, the, the Centennial Institute paper or some other, other papers. He already mentioned one of these questions. The federal government should advocate Christian values. Well, one could conceivably hear that and say, okay, that means the federal government should declare the Baptist church to be the official state church of the United States, and everyone who's not a Baptist will be punished or Mm -hmm, something like mm -hmm, that, right? mm -hmm. And that would sort of be an intolerant view. On the other hand, when I read that question, I think Christian values, love, justice, equality. Of course, the national government should, should enact Christian values. And I think the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would say, of course it should. And so would Dorothy Day. And so would any number of well-meaning Christians. A number of the questions get at the strict separation of church and state. So do you favor, for instance, religious monuments on public land? Now, I read that to say you have, say, the Bladensburg Cross, a 1925 cross erected to honor young men from a county who died in World War One, erected in 1925, originally on private land, now on public land. Should that cross have to be torn down? 
will advocate for the strict separation of church and state and say, of course, it's a violation of the Establishment Clause. Fortunately, the U.S. Supreme Court disagreed seven to two and said, no, this cross can't remain. Um, Justice Stephen Breyer and Elena Kagan, two Jewish justices, joined in that majority opinion. And so it seems to me you could say, okay, we don't have to strip religion from the public square and not be the sort of evil Christian nationalists described by Whitehead and Perry. So, yeah, I think their measures are just fundamentally flawed. I think they grossly exaggerate the um, number of Americans who embrace anything like what they described. Mark David Hall of George Fox University here on the Intersection podcast. Comments tied into the number eight topic of 2023 impacting the Christian community. Christian involvement in politics being labeled in a negative way using confusing terminology. Well, coming up, topics seven and six in the top 10 topics of 2023. In next week's edition of The Intersection, you will be hearing comments from various Meeting House guests, as well as my commentary with regard to the top 10 topics of 2023, topics five through one. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through The Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast, as well as the Meeting House radio program. You can also find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed. And you can watch video of Meeting House guests on the Faith Radio YouTube channel. There's a link from the Meeting House homepage. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on X or Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming menu at faithradio.org. You can also find conversations through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast at Amazon Music, Apple Podcast, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and other podcast platforms. Well, the number seven topic of 2023 impacting the Christian community, Christians face an unprecedented age of exclusion. As I related in my Meeting House article in the most recent Faith Radio Ministry magazine, I believe we're seeing an unprecedented attempt to remove Christians and the practice of Christianity from public life. I wrote this. Cancel culture, combined with the increase in technology being used to monitor personal behavior, is a potentially toxic mix for Christians. Investment and banking decisions that do not line up with unbiblical progressive points of view, as well as employment decisions that prevent Christians from obtaining or maintaining job status, are becoming more prevalent. Christians find themselves excluded from expressing their faith in the workplace. At the 2023 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando, Florida, I spoke with Star Parker, the founder and president of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, or CURE, who provided insight and commentary regarding an overall agenda that is contrary to a Christian worldview perspective. Our mission is that we fight poverty to restore dignity 
through messages of faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. So we actually work in public policy to remove the barriers of government so that people at the lowest levels can live free. Uh, so that includes a clergy program uh, that are working with the least of these on their local level. But mostly we want to just get rid of welfare and all related issues uh, because we believe that God has capacity for all. And if God has capacity for all, then why is government in the way of their capacity? <laughs> and you know my story, Bob, of course. That I, I don't do this just because I went to some learned place to gather my data to then say we shouldn't have government doing charity, render to Caesar what's his and God what's God, and half of what Washington does is 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 not Caesar's business, it's God's. And mostly because of my own story, you know, I had lived the lie of the left. I knew everything about what progressives are selling right now, that I was poor because others were wealthy, that I um, mm. yeah, that I shouldn't mainstream because I was black, or that I, um, you know, I need to make sure that I am aggressive against the society as a result of this. I knew all of those things, that I was just not going to make it. I shouldn't mainstream. And um, got lost in all those decisions to criminal activity and drug activity and sexual activity and then on the welfare state. But then when the Lord reached into my heart, oh, no, I changed. I changed, and I know that if I could change, others could change. So that's what we do at Cure. We make sure that others have the opportunity to change by changing the law. Well, let's talk. You, you mentioned what the progressives are selling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now. Share with me what you see as the essence of the message, because it seems like that it perhaps has become more amplified. Mm-hmm. It's become more more strident, and it's while it, I mean it's the same old lie. You right, know, it's the it, same it, lie from the beginning. You're that's right. As right. God really said. That's right. But how do you see that the that that message is now playing? today? Well, I think I'm not the only one seeing it. Everyone's seeing it. When you have 60% of Americans getting more from government than they put in, uh, you start making different decisions about your life and you start having different opinions about how others should live their lives. So over time, progressivism has seeped into even the body of Christ that we have government in places it shouldn't be. It's catching up to folks because during COVID they found out that, uh uh-oh, wait, They're teaching what in my kids' schools? And so now we're on the defense, if you will, trying to move to offense. But as you mentioned, Bob, it's the same story in the scriptures and throughout the scriptures. You know, I heard someone say a while ago that one of the enemies of America, uh, I think it was someone from Afghanistan, Iraq, or wherever, said, you know, here's a what Americans don't understand. Well, they have all the watches. We have all the time. And when you think about life and time, if you're hurried through it, if you think that everything uh, is meaningless and you've bought into materialism and so you're just kind of rushing through time, you've got enemies out there that have all the time in the world. Mm-hmm. And so what has happened with progressivism is they are long-term strategists to t- sell totalitarianism uh, because it's anti-God. It is the same war we've seen throughout Scripture. And they have time. While we're so busy in our little lives, you've had this enemy come in and start sowing seeds of discourse, sowing seeds of, 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 of socialism, sowing seeds of Marxism, sowing seeds of, frankly, it's down to totalitarianism. And totalitarianism cannot live in the same space with God's kingdom. So like R.C. Sproul said years ago in one of his books, statism is a philosophy of government where the state becomes not just the final authority, but the ultimate agent of redemption. So it has to 
supplant the church. So in that, um, we're now living in the place where they're openly saying, we're getting rid of you. Uh, but it has yep. been over time. It's not, This didn't start yesterday. And it's hard. It's hard for Christians to navigate through that, especially in America, to be now the persecuted church. This is a big hard ask for the Christian to be in that seat that says, you say the wrong thing, you lose your job. Star Parker of Cure, the Center for Urban Renewal and Education here on The Intersection. Relative to the number seven topic of 2023, Christians face an unprecedented age of exclusion. Well, the number six topic of 2023 impacting the Christian community Abortion pill regulations are challenged by pro-life doctors and others. An appeals court attempts to reinstate safeguards. And the case will be heard by the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, chemical abortion, or abortion via a two-pill regimen that women are now allowed to use at home to terminate the lives of their unborn children, has become an enormously popular method of abortion. A group of pro-life organizations and doctors had sued the Food and Drug Administration, claiming that broader availability of the abortion pill over the past few years should not have been allowed. In fact, the plaintiffs claimed it should never have been authorized in the first place back in 2000 by the FDA. A federal judge ruled in favor of the plaintiffs. However, the Fifth Circuit, while sympathetic to the concerns about recent developments, did not agree that the abortion pill should never have been approved by the FDA. Well, the Supreme Court has announced it will be hearing the case. Senior counsel for regulatory litigation at Alliance Defending Freedom, Julie Marie Blake, provided analysis in August of a ruling by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit that the abortion pill could no longer be available by mail and that previous FDA restrictions on its distribution would be reinstated. That ruling, however, was put on hold pending review by the U.S. Supreme Court. Here now from that conversation is Julie Marie Blake. Well, the FDA has a responsibility to protect the health, the safety, and the welfare of all Americans, but it has failed that responsibility when it comes to chemical abortion drugs. These drugs are dangerous. They should never have been approved in the first place, and they certainly shouldn't be on the market without any safeguards. So our group, Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, represents doctors and medical associations who team together to go to court, to ask the court to tell the FDA that it's time to follow the science, follow the law, and to start protecting women and girls from the harms of chemical abortion drugs. So in, two, in 2000, the FDA approved the abortion drug. And my understanding is that as part of this lawsuit, the Alliance Defending Freedom, on behalf of your clients, actually stated, contended that the FDA should never, as you just mentioned, have approved the drugs in the first place. Now, this federal district court judge, as I understand it, actually agreed with that, correct? That's right. The first courts have an opportunity to look at the lawfulness of these drugs, concluded that the FDA had failed its responsibility to protect people when it approved these drugs. It didn't have the necessary information to show that they were safe, and it didn't have the legal authority to approve them either. And, and that decision uh, was, was right. The FDA should have cared for women and girls, but instead it had politicized its process. 
So after this ruling was issued by the district court judge, the case made its way to the Fifth Circuit. I'm just going to ask, ask us, as we might say, a broad question here. Tell us about the path that this case has now been on. I know it went to the Fifth Circuit. There was some action from the Supreme Court. We have this ruling that was just issued days ago. So tell me about the path, if you would, of this particular case. Well, once the trial court, the district judge looked at this and said that the FDA never had authority to approve these drugs, he also said that they never had the authority to let them on the market without any safeguards. And so um, the Biden administration, uh, who's in charge of the FDA, appealed that decision to the Fifth Circuit. That's the appeals court um, that's in charge of uh, the region that the case was filed in. Um, And that that court said that um, they wanted to pause things while they they looked at the case. But the the appeals court said, you know, we think at the minimum these safeguards need to be back in place. Now the Supreme Court, when the Biden administration asked, put everything on pause. And now the Fifth Circuit has had its chance to look at everything uh, in more detail. And they again have said that at the minimum safeguards need to be back in place to protect women and girls while this case proceeds. And so once again, the Biden administration has says that they're they're going to the Supreme Court. They're going to appeal this decision. Um, but what the FDA should do is listen to what the Fifth Circuit said, that mm-hmm. these drugs are dangerous. They really need to have basic common sense safeguards on their use, like only having a doctor dispense them, requiring an in-person medical exam before being given to a woman, collecting basic health and safety information to find out if complications have occurred. These are really common sense safeguards. And I think the Fifth Circuit was somewhat shocked that the FDA thought that they could remove these kinds of safeguards and such dangerous drugs. And Julie, please comment if and well, if so, to what extent the Supreme Court decision in the Dobbs case actually played and, and or affected this particular action by ADF. Well, our doctors, the medical associations we represent, have been standing up to FDA for almost two decades now. And they've simply been stonewalled by the FDA during the bureaucratic process that you have to follow before you're allowed to go into court. Uh, But more importantly, since Dobbs, the FDA has made mail-order chemical abortion drugs the center of its response to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said that in Dobbs that the people's elected representatives in Congress and in states finally have the opportunity to enact pro-life laws protecting women, girls, and protecting unborn life. But in response, the Biden administration has sought to create a 50-state mail-order abortion economy to circumvent all of these federal and state protections for women and girls and for children. And they have been very open that making chemical abortion drugs accessible in all 50 states, no matter what, is their goal in response to the Supreme Court's ruling. Mm-hmm. And the sim- simply put, I think that, that that is why they are fighting so hard on this. When in reality, they should step back and look at whether women and girls are actually helped by taking chemical abortion drugs. And they're not. The, the, the evidence shows overwhelmingly high rates of complications and dangers. Julie Marie Blake of Alliance Defending Freedom. With comments tied into the number six topic of 2023, the case involving abortion pill regulations being challenged by pro-life doctors and others. An appeals court attempting to reinstate safeguards. It's ruling put on hold by the U.S. Supreme Court and the Supreme Court's announcement it will be hearing the case. 
Well, we're nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. This week and next week, covering the top 10 topics of 2023. Today, topics 10 through 6. Number 10, school and public libraries becoming battlegrounds over inappropriate content. Number 9, technological challenges awaiting Christians in the future. Number 8, Christian involvement in politics labeled in a negative way using confusing terminology. Number seven, Christians face an unprecedented age of exclusion. And number six, abortion pill regulations being challenged by pro-life doctors and others. An appeals court attempting to reinstate safeguards put on hold by the U.S. Supreme Court announcing it will hear the case. Well, this week's edition of the Intersection podcast covering topics 10 through 6. Next week, it's topics 5 through 1, the top 10 topics of 2023 impacting the Christian community utilizing comments from guests on the meeting house throughout the year. Well, you can find out more information about the Intersection podcast by going to meetinghouseonline.info. You can also find a link to that homepage through the programming menu at faithradio.org. At the Meeting House homepage, you can find links to the Intersection podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed. The Media Center is the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast and the Meeting House radio program. You can also find a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel through which you can watch video of Meeting House guests. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on X or Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming menu from faithradio.org. Thank you for joining me for this special edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.